0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Friday night, there was a tornado a touched down near Hillsboro, and Chuck and Angie Tucker took a picture of it. And uh, this is right outside their farm. So the glare off the window, behind that glare, you can see that funnel cloud hit down in between uh, their farm and another. And they saw it bounce, and they knew where it was going. They could see where it bounced, and it bounced and hit Fairview Church of Christ. And it ripped the roof off of Fairview Church of Christ. Now, if you had an initial reaction inside of you that said, ah, that's terrible, what can I do to help? That's the type of reaction God calls all Christ followers to have in this world in regards to our giving. Today as we look at our passage of scripture, we're going to look at how our giving demonstrates uh, incredible principles of God to the world, to other Christ followers, and even to ourselves. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to serve your kingdom. I thank you for this opportunity to look in your word and see how you want us to uh, be changed and how to live. And I just ask that you would transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit using this word of God to direct us to become more like Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We uh, started this sermon series four weeks ago, and three out of the four weeks, we have done uh, a sermon series on giving. So some of you might be asking yourself, and somebody asked me earlier, when is this sermon series about giving going to end? Well, as soon as the offering goes up, we'll stop talking about giving. No, um, I'm just kidding. Jesus spoke about 23% of his words about money. So we should have about 23% of our sermons during the year to be about money. Today is, though, the last day of this sermon series. Next week, we will start a new sermon series called Discipleship Pathway. In this sermon series, it's been uh, so uh, good to my soul to see that using the same passage of Scripture for each of our three weeks has revealed a different aspect and a different angle of how God commands us to be generous with our money today, as we look at one Corinthians chapter sixteen, verses one through four, uh, once again we're going to see how God is teaching us and commanding us to give, and how it relates to His kingdom. One Corinthians chapter sixteen: Here is what it says. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your grace to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go, also they will accompany me. That passage of Scripture has given us um, how to give set aside out of our income a little bit, a percentage every week where we can be cheerful so that we can give toward uh, what we what we call the church or God's kingdom. Um, it, uh, last week, we talked about how when we give, we have to, by faith, recognize that our giving, which goes to help others, is actually, in a way, giving to Jesus Christ himself. And it's by faith that that happens. Today, we're going to look at another aspect of giving. Uh, Just a follow up before we get into the the main points of the message, though. I did call uh, Pastor Thomas of Fairview Church of Christ, where the roof was ripped off. And um, he said they met with insurance Saturday morning, and uh, they're hopeful that they will be able to uh, put a new roof on. He said it's a pretty old building. But he would appreciate our prayers and then um, he asked if we could do a follow-up call maybe this week as they kind of get a little bit more settled to see where their needs might be. Maybe it would be uh, helping with a little bit of cleanup or maybe we could... Uh, potentially take up a special collection or offering for them as they prepare to repair. They are meeting in a place today, and they do have a meeting place today to worship together. But continue to pray for them as, as they recover. That's our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that's what um, Paul is talking about here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, the saints. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. I think when we give an offering, one of the things that demonstrates is giving demonstrates unity among true believers. Unity among true believers. Uh, we have true believers in every denomination, in every church, all over the world, and we are united to them as one church. When Paul says, now about the collection for the saints, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. He's talking about the churches of Galatia, which would have been on his first missionary journey. Uh, Lystra and Derbe and Iconian and Pisidian Antioch, his first missionary journey. He's calling them the church. And now he's talking about across the Mediterranean Sea to the church at Corinth. He's saying, you're gonna do like that church does, because we are united as one church. And we're gonna send our collection to other brothers and sisters, the church in Jerusalem, which again is across the Mediterranean Sea, nowhere near Galatia and um, Corinth. And what's going on here is Paul and early Christian believers, they use this, they use this phrase Catholic. Yeah, Catholic. And it wasn't the Roman Catholic church, it was a phrase, a a Latin word, Catholic meaning all-encompassing. So not to bring any baggage, we sometimes say the universal church. What we mean by that is Christians everywhere are our brothers and sisters. There is one church, even though we divide ourselves up into local congregations, there is only the church of God. The church of Christ. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy, and he's talking about all of us. So I urge you all to live a life worthy of the calling all of you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. There is one body, Paul says. There is only one body of Christ. We belong to the body of Christ, and Christians all over the world belong to that one body of Christ. So what that means is, if there is a church in town that suffers. If there's a congregation in town that suffers, we suffer. If there's a church in town that is successful, we are successful. We are one body in Christ. There, And uh, this this is crazy to believe, but we have brothers and sisters in China, in Turkey, in Syria, in Iran, in Iraq, in Asia. In, um, in, <laughs> we just have brothers and sisters everywhere. And we won't meet them until we arrive face to face in heaven with our king Jesus Christ. But they they are part of the church. And so when we give an offering, we are we are completing this command from scripture that churches everywhere support churches everywhere. And you know, we kind of we really do. When we give an offering, it does support churches everywhere. One of our missionaries that we support through our offering, his name is Dr. David Roadcup. He teaches at TCM, Taking Christ to the Masses Institute. It's a university in Vienna. He said, Dale, you ought to come serve in Vienna. I'm like, yeah, way to go. Carry your cross, Dr. Roadcup. You get to go to Vienna every year. That must be really hard. But listen, listen, listen. In Vienna, it is the only USA accredited university that's not within the United States border so hear this we have an accredited university in Europe well a university diploma from the United States carries a lot of influence so people Christians in Asia Russia, Turkey in Iran, they send students to House device to get a USA-accredited degree. Dr. Rodecup teaches those students. He teaches the Bible like we teach the Bible. There was a group from Russia that came in, and it was the preacher and his associate ministers. They all got their degree, and when they went back to where they live in Russia, because they had a USA degree, they were able to start their own Bible college. We are Christians through our offering, supporting the church in Russia. There was a bishop from Iran. There are churches in Iran. And he sat in Dr. Roadcup's class, and he said, Dr. Roadcup, I have never heard of spiritual disciplines before. I've never been taught this before. And Dr. Roadcup was teaching him how to have a quiet time, how to get alone with God, how to pray, how to to give, how to disciple others. And he says to Dr. Roadcup, he says, I'm a bishop in Iran, I'm in charge of over over eight other churches. When I get back, I'm going to teach my preachers that report to me the same thing you're teaching me. It's incredible and it blows my mind that when we give in our offering, we are demonstrating the unity of true believers that we have with other churches all over the world. And this is the unity that Paul calls us to with true believers. There are true believers in every tribe, and every denomination, all over the world. This is the unity that we have when we approach things in our community where we don't compete with other churches, but we help complete them. We have have done this type of thing, and this is the unity that Paul calls us to. Um, He says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither Russian nor Iranian. there's neither Chinese or American. We are one in Christ. In the temple, uh, when Herod rebuilt the temple and he wanted to make it one of the eighth wonders of the world, everything he did, he created um, two uh, courts for the Gentiles to come into, because he read in Scripture that all the nations would come and worship God, but there was a wall. See those blue arrows. There is a wall that divides the temple area from the court of Gentiles. And there were signs warning, no foreigners beyond this point, no Gentiles beyond this point or you will suffer death. Gentiles and Jews were separated by the dividing wall. But when Christ came, his blood covered over true believers everywhere and the dividing wall was taken down. Now there is no Jew and Gentile. There is only disciples of Jesus. And when Paul tells the church at Corinth, act like the church of Galatia, to send money to the church in Jerusalem, he is saying, We are collecting for the saints because there is one church that we all belong to. It's my dream that we have a one church attitude in Wilmington. And when we do that, when we act that way, when we give in this way, life change happens. You might have seen it done here over the past 12 years. We, it, it blows my mind, but we did a joint sermon time with a couple of other churches about 10 years ago, and it was the very first time a black man had stood on this stage and ever spoken. How in the world can we go 70 years without a black man ever entering our church and speaking? And we had a pastor preach, and he was from a Methodist church. And everybody was on pins and needles, like, what is he going to say? And is he going to say anything that we don't agree with? Because he's not one of us, and not because he was black, but because he was Methodist. And he said, almost his first words, he said, we are all baptized into Jesus Christ. And there was this great relief that happened in the church of Christ members and then we did a unity project with 11 other churches on doan street where we remodeled the playground there and that following week we had a joint vacation bible school where we taught kids from the Done street area which is a kind of a little bit of shady part of town the beauty and the wonder and the salvation of jesus christ and it was about a week later that Wilmington Police had one of their largest drug busts in the history of Wilmington, and we believe it's because we took the light of Jesus Christ in the community as the church that got rid of the darkness that was there, and now it's dark again. But our giving demonstrates the unity we have as church. This is what we're called to be as Christians, and it's incredible to me that when we give in this way, we are glorifying God by uniting with other Christians, just in our offering. it glorifies God and helps the world believe in Jesus. In John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23, Jesus says a prayer for us. He says, not just for the disciples I'm praying for, but all that would come after them. Jesus prays for us and he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you had sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I wonder, do you think the churches of Galatia and the churches at Corinth and the church in Rome and the church in Jerusalem, do you think they were all identical? No, they're not. When we read about the, the letters that are sent to those places and we read about the first church, we realize they had all sorts of different problems. But they were united in Christ. And we need to examine ourselves to make sure we are true believers. And the scripture gives us, gives us an identity to follow in Christ that determines our faith. And I'm going I'm to do a list of what makes a, what the scripture says makes a true believer. And I agree with my brothers and sisters in the Eastern Orthodox. Christian church that if you disagree with what the scripture says in any of these points or this does not line up with your theology they say heresy endangers you of hell and it endangers you of the people around you of hell but they don't say you're going to hell I think that's a good attitude to have with other people who claim to follow Christ When we disagree about theology, we need to look to the Scripture and say, okay, if you are going against Scripture, that's a dangerous place to be. But we don't need to condemn them. We need to draw them to Christ. And here's what the Scripture says are true believers. Believers all over the world are found. First, true believers recognize sin separates us from God. If you're a believer in Christ... What happened somewhere along the way is you recognized you were separated from God by sin, and there's the description of sin is missing the mark, active rebellion. I know the good I'm supposed to do, but I do what I'm not supposed to do. Um, accidental sin, which I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that, but I broke God's law anyway, or perversion, where we take something good that God has given us and we twist it in such a way that it becomes what God calls us evil. That, those, Descriptions of sin separate us from God. And the scripture says we are now dead in our sin under God's wrath and separated from him. Listen, we need to understand this. We can teach this later when we are making our own disciples. People don't go to hell because they've never heard of Jesus. People go to hell because sin separates them from God. And all people in all over the world sin and fall short of the glory of God. True believers recognize this and they admit it. And they believe, true believers believe in Jesus Christ. They believe Jesus Christ, God's Son, God in the flesh, God who is 100% human and 100% God, died for our sins, died to save us from the sin, our sins on the cross, was buried, and then after three days rose from the dead. And they don't just believe it with their mind, but they give and entrust their whole heart to Jesus who died for them so that he will rescue them from their sin. True believers believe Jesus Christ died and rose again to save them from their sins. True believers call on the name of the Lord. Sometimes that's called confession. In Romans chapter 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. They call on Jesus to rescue them. True believers repent and are baptized. Repentance means you're going down your own path and your own lifestyle. You're living as the world lives, but you turn away from that to take on the path, the instruction of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. When Jesus told His disciples to make disciples, He said, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Jesus is the way. His commands are what we follow. When the... the, very first church, when the believers there were questioning Peter and the other apostles, in Acts chapter 2, they said, in a nutshell, we believe we killed Jesus. We believe he's alive. said so they were cut to the heart when he said you killed Jesus. They said, what shall we do? And Peter stood in front of them. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So true believers are going to repent. They're going to turn from their way and they're going to follow Christ's way and then they're going to be baptized into Jesus. Paul describes baptism this way. Don't you know that all of us who were immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through immersion into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. What did you read earlier? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Well, how do you cover yourself with Christ? How do you clothe yourself with Christ? How do you have indwelling of Christ within you? The scripture says you put on Christ at baptism. True believers reveal a changed life. Now hear me on this. It doesn't mean a perfect life. It doesn't mean you get everything right. But it does reveal a changed life that is consistently trying to pursue God. And so if you take a a picture of a person's life, you get to see that they have experienced a change and are living a changed life. And you'll also notice that they're not perfect. They still mess up. They still sin. Christians, true believers, the church, they don't become sinless, but they do oftentimes sin less because they're pursuing Christ with their heart. And true believers are given this new life and this change, and they become a different person for good works. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Part of those good works is teaching people how to obey Jesus. It's training new disciples. It's sharing the gospel in your testimony. And part of the good works, Paul says, is do like the Galatian churches. Do like the Corinth churches. Take up a collection. Part of the good works we do is our offering. And it helps reveal and demonstrate that we are united with believers all over the world. And when that is revealed, it leads people to Christ. One of the, one of the greatest nights I've been a part of, well, and, and for some people it stuck and for some people it didn't, we did a joint church effort in Wilmington called Hope Over Heroin. And that night drug dealers showed up to hear a concert about former addicts who had found Christ and they had found a new life, And over 100 people were baptized. Well, if you get baptized without faith, you just get wet. And I'm afraid some of those drug addicts and drug dealers got wet that night and were not changed. But there were some that were changed. Because of the joint effort and the money given of the one church in Wilmington. True believers everywhere. When we are united and when we give, we demonstrate the unity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who broke down all the walls, covered us with his blood spiritually, so that we can be his people. One body living for Jesus. Number two, giving also, when we give and we give offering, it demonstrates believers meet true needs. Not only does it demonstrate that we have unity among true believers, But it demonstrates believers meet true needs. Verse 3 of chapter 16 in 1 Corinthians. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your grace to Jerusalem. Your gift. They were meeting a need the Jerusalem Christians really had. Acts chapter 11 kind of describes this. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so we look through our history books and recordings, and we see, was there really a famine in the entire Roman area during this time? Well, it seems like maybe there was. Around 45 AD, the price of of grain tripled. We know what that feels like. We've had to buy eggs lately. But imagine if your whole meal was the grain you could purchase, but it's three times the amount. During the same period of time, the the Egyptian province of Rome, Rome Rome-owned Egypt at the time, they their Nile uh, rose above the floodwater and flood banks and flooded out their crops and so they could not collect crops from Egypt at that time. In Judea and Syria there were earthquakes and famine and they could not collect crops at that time. In Africa because the Roman Empire was pretty big, it stretched from Egypt to Great Britain to Africa to Turkey. In Africa they were battling and having um they were having a civil war. And part of their African crops could not come into the Roman Empire. So because of the famine, and because of the crop shortage, and because of earthquakes in Turkey and Syria at that time, they had a food shortage. And Paul said, the one church that we belong to is going to try to meet true needs. And we know The believers in Jerusalem are in need. So on his missionary journeys, he began to collect an offering for the Christians in Jerusalem. I don't know how we are going to help with Fairview Church of Christ, and maybe we won't, but maybe when they get things settled and they find out how much the insurance is covered and how much they're going to need and whether they can even put a roof back on, maybe our church is going to help send a collection to other brothers and sisters just over the street. In the past couple of years, our church has done community-wide collections where we have served people in Kentucky and Florida and the Ukraine and Turkey. And what we just do is we collect supplies that we know people are going to need. And we can't help every crisis because there's a crisis every day. And we can't help every crisis with everything that is needed because the war in the Ukraine is still going on. People are still exiting the Ukraine into other European countries that still need supplies. But where we can, and as we can, as a church, we are going to give, and we're going to give our offering, and it's going to help Christians Literally all over the world. And sometimes it's going to help other people who are not Christians. That it's going to be shown the love of Jesus Christ because of what we give. Because believers meet true needs. And true needs are shelter, water, food, and clothing. As a church, I am proud of our church. Of how we try to operate and meet the needs. Not only in our community, but people all over the world. And we give offering and we give supplies and we have a blessing store and we serve together and we don't try to compete with other churches, but we try to complete other churches. And it was on Testimony Sunday this past year where we had a testimony from a church three hours north that said they heard about the the drive that we were giving and they wanted to be a part of it. And as they shared it with their congregation, the Amish community that was connected with them They said, we want to be a part of it. And that church that was three hours away sent us supplies so we could get it to our supplier that helped people in the Ukraine, that helped people in Kentucky, that helped people in Florida. See, when we work together and we give together and we meet true needs, and a lot of times it just goes in our offering. When we do that, it reveals to the world that we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ And it reveals to the world that God meets needs through his church. Now this cannot be compulsory. You can't feel guilted into this. If you feel guilted into this, don't give. But if you feel led and stirred in your heart, then do give. When Moses came to the Israelites in Exodus, and he said, God has commanded us to give so that we can build a tabernacle For us to worship Him. In Exodus chapter 35, it says, And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its services and for the sacred garments. Their heart was moved to give. They wanted to give. This is one of the marks of the maturity of a true believer. That we see a need and we want to meet that need if we're able to. And then when David set out that God had told him to build the temple and no longer have it a movable tent of meeting tabernacle, but the temple of God, he went to the people and he said, we're going to build a temple for our Lord. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, it says, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. They were stirred in their heart to give, and they couldn't wait to give more. In fact, in both instances, with Moses and with David, they had to tell the people, stop giving, we have too much. You'll never hear a preacher that I know say that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, when Paul's talking to the same church that we've been studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he said, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver and you want to know how you become a cheerful giver, it's not a transaction for you. Don't give to get something. Don't give to earn God's favor. Don't give to get in his grace. Don't give to massage your guilt because you haven't been obeying Jesus. Give because you react to what Jesus has done for you. We love God because he first loved us. We love God because Jesus came and died for us while we were still sinners. We didn't get cleaned up and then come to Jesus. He died while we were dirty, and then he cleaned us up. And when we recognize the incredible grace and gift and love that must take for someone to die for someone who is unworthy, for someone who died for the entire world in that way, we can't help but respond with overwhelming love and gratitude and grace where we can't help but want to give. And our offering is just an expression of part of our worship. And when we do this, we demonstrate the unity of the church, but we demonstrate the church meets true needs. One of our... uh, I, let me save this story. Let me save this story. If you were to examine yourself now based on where the Scripture has told us to be, united as one church, would you examine your own heart to see whether you feel a competition with other churches or you feel like you want to complete them in the name of Christ? Or if you heard me say through the scripture how God describes true believers and you find that you're not in line with what scripture declares, you examine yourself. Or maybe you're examining your giving based on what was just spoken. Where Paul says the churches need to give in unity because they're one body and we need to give to meet me needs. But your giving has been kind of like, I'm going to give because I feel guilty, I'm not obeying, or I'm going to give because this is what I was raised to do. It, and you're not reacting out of a joyful heart in your giving. This examination allows us to have a response that Jesus calls us to. He says, when we examine ourselves according to Scripture, what we're going to find is that we all fall short somewhere. Our giving demonstrates the unity of the church, true believers. And our giving demonstrates that the church meets true needs. In our prayer group, uh, leading a prayer group on Wednesday night, it's online, and on Sunday evening, in person. And we're studying how to pray. And it's just a video series, and the teacher's pretty fun, but the teacher did something that uh, threw our Wednesday night group off. See, I have a, a lot of Veteran Church of Christ members in our Wednesday night group. And the teacher of our Wednesday night group, he said, do you know that you can pray with an icon? Now, if you're a part of the Church of Christ tribe, if you're part of the Restoration Movement, even if you're Protestant, if you hear the word icon, you immediately take a step back. Because for Protestants, a lot of time, icons are considered too close to idolatry. And an icon is a picture that millions of Christians use all over the world to help them, they say, focus their prayer time. And this teacher showed one of the oldest Coptic icons. It's called Jesus and Abbot Minna. This is what it looks like. I think. There it is. And Jesus in this picture has his arm wrapped around Abbot Minna. You know what would have been really helpful for Pete to have said? If he hadn't have said, you can use an icon to pray, he could have taught his lesson, and our Church of Christ veterans wouldn't have been appalled that he used the word icon. What he could have said was this. Sometimes Christians from other cultures use pictures to help teach a lesson for people who can't read. And if we could use a picture to teach a lesson for people who can't read, you know, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And this picture might even help us learn how to pray. Well, if you've ever been in the Church of Christ and used flanagraph boards, you have used an icon to help teach a Bible lesson. But I want you just to notice something about this picture. In that picture, Jesus has no feet. But Abbot Minna's feet are clearly seen. What would that teach us about the responsibility of the church in meeting the needs that all people have? If you need me to spell it out for you, I will. God meets people's needs through the church because we are the body of Christ We are the hands and feet of Christ. And if we want to take Christ and the message of Christ to someone, we have to go do it. And it's amazing to me that God oftentimes uses our offering to continue that message being served all over the world. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, Be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining and we will see you back here next time.